Welcome to this edition of the Alabama Historical Association's podcast program. I'm your host, Marty Olaf, and I talk with people who conduct interesting research and do interesting things concerning Alabama history. You can find out more about the Alabama Historical Association, a membership organization devoted to Alabama history, by pointing your browser at our website, www.alabamahistory.net. Our guest today is Valerie Burns, Associate Professor of History at the University of West Alabama in Livingston and the incoming Alabama Historical Association President for 2018-2019. Valerie is also the co-author of Visions of the Black Belt, a cultural survey of the heart of Alabama, published by the University of Alabama Press in 2015. We'll talk about that in a minute, but Valerie, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Tell our listeners your plans as Alabama Association President for the upcoming year? Well, we have an exciting year coming up for the AHA, but especially for the state of Alabama as we approach 2019 and the state's bicentennial. The Alabama Bicentennial Commission has done a great job kind of getting everybody geared up for 2019, so the AHA wants to be a big part of that. So we have scheduled our fall 2018 pilgrimage in Camden. That'll be a Saturday, October 27th, with a little sneak peek tour of Furman and surrounding areas in Wilcox County on that Friday evening before, on the 26th. Some people might say, well, why did you choose Camden? What's the bicentennial connection? Because when most people think about the state bicentennial, they think of St. Stephen's, the territorial capital. They think of Huntsville with the Constitutional Convention. And, of course, they think of Cahaba as the first state capital. But there is actually a very strong bicentennial connection in Camden. Part of the reason for choosing Camden was you know, want to get people into the Black Belt, and obviously that fits with my book that we'll talk about later. I just adore Camden. I love the drive to Camden. I love any opportunity I have to go to Camden, thanks to places like Black Belt Treasures, and it's just a beautiful little town. But the Bicentennial Connection is a man named Charles Tate, and Charles Tate did a lot in his lifetime, especially um, starting out in Georgia, um, served in several different positions with the federal government. For Alabama history, he is the gentleman who put forth the legislation to separate Alabama from the Mississippi Territory and create it as its own individual state. He's also the gentleman who pushed to have the border between Alabama and Mississippi run north to south instead of east to west. There had been a push to divide the state in half horizontally uh, to make it mirror more Tennessee, And he decided that, no, it needed to be a north-south separation instead. So the shape of Alabama, we owe that to Charles Tate. Tate lived the last years of his life in Camden with his son at a plantation called Dry Fork. Dry Fork is still there. It is still owned by descendants of Charles Tate. Um, And he is buried in Wilcox County as well, near Dry Fork. So very, very strong bicentennial connection there, and for that pilgrimage, we're going to have a collection of Charles State's materials from the state archives, the big draw being his wooden leg. Um, He did have an artificial leg, and for some reason, the archives ended up with that, so they're going to bring that to Camden on the 27th. And then for 2019, obviously our our big um, annual meeting in the spring, which we're going to be in Tuscaloosa, which is the site of Alabama's second state capital. We're going to have a very strong bicentennial focus with that as well, 
possibly with a joint meeting with the Alabama Trust for Historic Preservation. It's an off-year meeting for them, but they don't want to let the bicentennial go by either. So we're looking at doing a joint meeting with Alabama Trust. Bigger meeting, bring more like-minded people together to study and celebrate Alabama history. What other plans do you have for the AHA? A few other things, not especially bicentennial related, but one thing that my vice president, Phrasing Taylor, and the treasurer, Gail Thomas, have both contacted me about separately is trying to recruit some younger members into the association. So we're looking at maybe something along the lines of a 40 under 40 recognition where we look at 40 people under the age of 40 who are doing great things for Alabama history and the study of Alabama history and work on recognizing them as well so that they can understand that the study and love of history isn't always necessarily stuffy old people. So, <laughs> so that's those are our main focuses. So the bicentennial is the big focus. And I was very fortunate to be president during the bicentennial year and sort of be handed this wonderfully obvious track to follow. But we've got some leadership on the executive committee that's very, very interested in promoting younger people in the organization as well. So that's where we are right now. Congratulations on your election as president during this exciting bicentennial year. Let's change the topic here. Please tell us about your book, Visions of the Black Belt, published in 2015 and co-authored with photographer Robin McDonald. The book came out of, from my end, it came out of a need I had recognized. I served for eight years as director of the Center for the Study of the Black Belt at the University of West Alabama. And the most common question I would get would be, where can I go to read more about the Black Belt? And there had not ever been anything written about that, which seems kind of odd because if you ask anybody about a region in Alabama, the one region that people seem to really be able to solidly identify would be the Black Belt. And close behind that would be the Wiregrass. Those two regions seem to be the most unique within the state of Alabama. The Black Belt is especially unique, of course, geologically, but also, well, and because of that, um, that has affected the history and the settlement patterns in the area and, of course, the economy. The Black Belt has also had a big impact on Alabama history. Prior to the Civil War, it was where everybody wanted to live because it was the best land for growing cotton. It was the most expensive area in the wealthiest part of Alabama. Since the Civil War, and especially since uh, really the 1950s and 60s, it's become the poorest area of Alabama. Many of the counties see double-digit unemployment and also a lot of out-migration. It's a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde area of the state, and so it was ironic to me that nothing had ever been written about the region because it is such an iconic part of the state. I had approached the University of Alabama Press about writing a book about the Black Belt. My suggestion was a little more academic in nature, and they said, well, while we would love to see that book, we have also been approached by Black Belt Treasures in Camden. They are approaching their 10th anniversary in 2015. We are looking at doing a book for them. Robin McDonald has agreed to supply the photographs, and he had actually already taken photographs of the region for a Black Belt Heritage Area calendar, so he had a good running start on those. This would have been in the summer of 2012 that I just sort of approached Alabama, and at the same time, Black Belt Treasures had approached them. And so it was just great timing um, on both of our parts. And they said, we might be interested in your academic book later, 
but we want this book now. What Black Belt Treasures had wanted to do to celebrate their 10th anniversary was have a book, a, a nice coffee table book, to promote the good things in the Black Belt. If you listen to the news, if you read anything on the news, we hear very often about what is wrong with the Black Belt, and we have a lot of very well-meaning groups from outside the region, both from Alabama and from around the country, who constantly want to come in and experience the Black Belt, but at the same time fix the Black Belt. Black Belt Treasures wanted to do something that says, we know what's wrong, but here's what's right. And there are some good things here, and there's some very good people here. And there's some great people doing things but there's from outside the region, but there are also a lot of people in the region doing things as well. Let's celebrate that. Now, I don't gloss over the problem in the region, especially in the introduction. So the introduction is the, here's your go-to thing to read about the Black Belt. <laughs> that, that, that whole purpose, from my perspective, about what the book needed to be. And so in the introduction, I do give a history of the region, warts and all, I don't, I don't gloss over anything, but we do talk about here the good things that came out of it. There have been some good things in the past, and we want you to know about those as well. For instance, the art in the Black Belt is a result of poverty. He's developed his own unique style, and so I talk about the poverty, but I talk about this sort of silver lining to the poverty with the art. The first half of the book is basically places. The second half of the book is people. So the first half of the book, we look at towns, and we look at churches, and we look at houses and architecture, and we look at icons of the regions. Edmund Pettus Bridge is featured, uh, St. Andrews, the Little Red Church, and Prairieville is featured. The columns at Cahaba are featured. That's in the icons chapter, the first chapter. And then we look at, like I said, cities and towns, churches and cemeteries and architecture. And then the last half of the book, we focus on people, artists, musicians, writers, Folk artists, people taking what they have to make what they need in the region. And, of course, the Jews being quilters are in there. But a lot of people who are doing a lot of other great things like Charlie Lucas, the Tin Man, and Selma. And then, like I said, writers and musicians, the people who are telling the story. And then we end the book, uh, the last chapter, is entitled Progress and Promise. Here are the people who are working to improve the region and the lives of people in the region. My contributions to the book were the introduction, all the chapter introductions, and (laughs) telling Robin. Robin is from up near Birmingham, and so he had sort of the outsider's view of the Black Belt. And so I spent a lot of time saying, we need to go get pictures of cows, and we need to go get pictures of catfish, and we need you to go get a picture here, and you need to go there, and we need a pecan orchard. And a lot of these things that people don't realize are very much the Black Belt. The Black Belt is not just antebellum homes and cotton, where people lived in tenant farmers' cabins. And the Black Belt today is not just the rural studio. There are local people as well. A big part of my contribution was also helping him understand what is actually the Black Belt from an insider's perspective. And though I'm not originally from the Black Belt, I'm originally from Talladega. I've been in the Black Belt for half my life now, for 20 years. And so I've gotten a good taste of it and gotten to experience it. And so those were the things I brought to the book. So Robin's job was to do the photography, and he also wrote the captions, correct? He did. I had some say in some of the captions just to kind of make sure that the angle went correctly and that there, because, you know, there's some history involved in some of the captions as well. And so there was some editing 
on my part for some of those. But being the photographer, I felt it was more appropriate for him to do captions for his pictures. I help. I don't want to say clean them up, but every once in a while there'd be something I'd be like, you're misinterpreting that a little bit. So sometimes I would provide some perspective from somebody within the region. But for the most part, yeah, he did the captions. How well did your collaboration work? We worked really well together. There there were a few times that he was like, no, we don't need a picture of catfish. And I was like, yes, we need a picture of catfish. And he said, how do you get a picture of catfish? And I'm like, you're the photographer. Don't ask me. <laughs> we did have a little bit of back and forth on a few things. But for the most part, we worked really well together. I didn't always get to travel with him for some of the shoots, but I did enjoy the times I was able to go with him. He was very good. I give him credit because, you know, I would give him directions. A little hint, by the way, we're not big on road signs in the Black Belt. I think they just disappear and don't ever get replaced. So I, you can't really go much by road signs. So my directions would say things like, go a little ways down this road and turn left at the tree that got struck by lightning and turn right by the wood fence that's painted white, not the other wood fence. And he would get to where he was going. He trusted me probably a little more than he should have. But he made it back alive, so he only ended up in a ditch once. That was actually taking pictures of cattle. But somebody in a truck came along and pulled him out, so he lived to tell the tale. I think we we survived okay. Given the opportunity, would you have done anything differently with this book? There have been just a few things, looking back on it, that I may have included. But for the most part, I think we covered everything. I mean, I, I really think we gave a good overall picture. I start off the introduction talking about feast and famine. Those two words really encapsulate the Black Belt experience over the last, say, 220 years. We made sure to include all that in the book because I didn't want to literally whitewash the history. And like I said, though, we wanted people to see the good that was there. How has your book been received? The people who have been in the Black Belt have been wonderfully supportive of the book. It's made it into a fourth printing, which is a really big deal. And people in the region are proud of the book. That means a lot because the people who are most familiar with something are going to be your worst critics. People still see me and tell me about the wonderful book. My niece, she was a senior in high school, went up to Washington, D.C. last spring to meet Jeff Sessions, and she sent me a picture. She said, your book is on Jeff Sessions' coffee table in the Capitol building. So it's definitely spread out through the country. And I actually had a, a fellow Judson sister tell me it was the featured book for the month at the library in Prescott, Arizona. It has traveled far and wide, and um, we've had great response from people. Um, I'm really happy with the book overall and had a great experience doing it. The press is what was wonderful to work with. Beth Motherwell was very encouraging. I've heard publishing horror stories from some of my other friends in higher ed, but I had none of those experiences. It sounds like the introduction that you've done on the visions of the Black Belt is a precede of that academic book that you had proposed earlier. What other projects are you now working on? I am working on another book project, not specifically related to the Black Belt, really, or even to the book. Beth has asked me to do a book proposal, which I recently submitted to the press, to document the lives of women in Alabama, focusing on the women featured at the Alabama Women's Hall of Fame, which is located at Johnson College. As a caveat, I did serve as Executive Secretary of the Hall of Fame about 10 years ago, so I'm very familiar with it and also attended Judson's. I remember going to those Hall of Fame inductions for several years. She has asked me to chronicle those women so that we have 
the really important names, the names that people would know, Julia Tutwiler, Tallulah Bankhead, uh, Marie Bankhead Owen. Um, but there are so many women featured in the Hall of Fame who just in the course of everyday lives, they weren't uh, the, the well-known names, the big names, but they did so much to change Alabama for the better. It's everything from people in social work, educators, physicians, journalists, public servants, missionaries, war heroes, and a lot of names that people don't know, but they should. That's going to be the companion to a book that's coming out for the Bicentennial about the founding fathers of Alabama. When will your book on Alabama women be ready for publication? Not in 2019. We've battered around ideas. We've had some back and forth about the setup and what we want the book to look like. We've gotten that narrowed down. You know, the process takes longer than I think a lot of people realize. When they approached me in July of 2012 about doing this book to have it out for the Black Belt for October 2015, people were like, oh, three, almost three and a half years. That's an amazing amount of time. Well, we had to be done with the book in 2014, over a year before it needed to come out. Publishing is a lot longer process than it seems like it should be. You know, we're looking at three years before that will be out. I guarantee you, when it's out, everybody will know. (laughs) One of the things I enjoyed the most about the Black Belt book was getting to travel and talk to people. And so one thing I'm looking forward to with this book is it has reached throughout the state. It's going to give me a lot more opportunities to travel. I love driving the roads of Alabama. I'm hoping with this book I'll get to even more places that I might not have an excuse <laughs> to go to otherwise and get to meet some more wonderful people and hear what other people are doing and, and hopefully to let them know about the Hall of Fame and to nominate some great people who are deserving to be in there. Um, having the book out will be fun, and I'm excited people will be learning about these women. But um, for selfish reasons, I'm looking forward to getting to travel and meet a lot of people and see more of the state. It sounds like you have plenty on your plate. Before we finish... Tell our listeners who might not know you well a bit about yourself. So I am originally from Talladega. I went to Judson College in Marion and have stayed pretty much in the Black Belt since then. I finished my undergraduate double major in history and English, and then went to Auburn for graduate school and did a master's degree in archival studies and then finished a Ph.D. in the history department. My dissertation was on the civil rights movement in Perry County. I teach women's history classes, Alabama history, Civil rights history, African-American history, and public history classes. I get to teach fundamentals of archives class and historic preservation. Those all seem divergent, but I enjoy all of them. President of our local historical society, as well as the Epps Barbecue Club, which apparently is what most people find are really interested in, is coming to get some barbecue. (laughs) That's what I get asked about the most. How do I get to go to a barbecue club? I'm like, come on with me, and you get to go. And then I also do dog rescue in Sumter County, since we don't have a shelter. I'm also the crazy dog lady in Sumter County, so if you find a dog, I'm the one they call. This has been Valerie Burns, president of the Alabama Historical Association for 2018-2019 and co-author of Visions of the Black Belt. Thank you very much for speaking with us today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. 
Thank you for joining us today. This has been another edition of the Alabama Historical Association podcast program. Our music is the traditional tune, Whistle By, performed at city stages in 1996 by James Bryan and Carl Jones. It's provided courtesy of the Alabama Folklife Association, which you can find on the web at alabamafolklife.org.